Welcome to The Haber Show. This week, a really fun interview with Steve Forbes. No, not that Steve Forbes. As you might know, I'm a Wake Forest Demon Deacon, class of 2008, and they just hired Steve Forbes to be their head coach. You might be wondering why he's on an NBA pod. Well, the guy is best friends with the NBA champion head coach Nick Nurse of the Toronto Raptors, and they go way back to a small town in Iowa. Coach Forbes also coached Fred Van Vliet at Wichita State. So we'll talk about what makes Nick Nurse tick. Uh, we'll go into the details behind the video that went viral when, Sp- when Forbes spiked his coronavirus mask and yelled into the camera. We'll go also inside a Zoom call with Tim Duncan and Chris Paul when they were interviewing, so to speak, Coach Forbes for the Wake Forest job. We'll also talk about why the player empowerment era isn't just an NBA thing. So lots to get into, a lot of laughs with Coach Forbes. Without further ado, the new coach of the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, Coach Steve Forbes. All right, Steve Forbes, um, I'm coming to you from the NBA world, and my listeners might not know why the heck I'm interviewing a college coach, but I'm telling you, everybody, you probably have seen Steve Forbes. You just didn't know it. Is yeah. that on April 30th, Wake Forest announced their new hire, Wake Forest Basketball, of which I'm an alumni, not of the basketball program, but of Wake Forest Demon Deacon myself. I watched this as soon as it came out. <laughs> Coach Steve Forbes was hired, and in this amazingly um, directed video that Wake Forest put out, you ripped off your coronavirus mask and said a bu- probably a bunch of expletives that may not made the cut, but essentially, let's go, Deacon Nation, let's go, or something like that. And it went viral, I think a million views on Twitter, and probably many more uh, sent around the world. That is the Steve Nurse, I mean, <laughs> Steve Nurse, Steve Forbes that I'm talking to right now, and you might not know Steve Forbes is also close buddies with Nick Nurse, the uh, coach of the Toronto Raptors, the champion. So lots to talk about, Steve. But that video that went viral like a couple months ago, yeah. that must have felt like right now talking about it must have felt like two years ago. Oh, for sure. I can't even remember it. You know, maybe <laughs> I don't want to. You know, it was like the culmination of this long day, right? Like long, like if, if four days can be long when you're interviewing on Zoom, like 500 times, you know, it's like a long day, you know? And so by the time we got to that, I just kind of gave up like, okay, what's the plan here? All right, put this mask on. All right. I, I couldn't find my Wake Forest mask because I lost Wait, did it. Did you have a Wake Forest mask? Yeah, but I lost it during the day. Of course, I left it sitting somewhere. And so I had this other mask and, and it was hand, it was made in Winston-Salem. Okay. So I put it on and um, if I had you know, a couple of those things coming out of my nose, like a hook. I look like Bane from Batman. <laughs> you know, I, that was my best Bane. And they were, like I did one take, and usually I'm a one-take guy. And they're like, no, no, we need more. We need more. I'm like, oh, I can give you more now. And so um, I kept it PG, and I uh, slammed my coronavirus mask to the floor and said, let's get this done. And uh, that was the beginning of the Steve Forbes tenure at Wake Forest. And I'm, granted, 
you know, there's a couple other things I've said along the way I didn't think would get much traction, but uh, that was one of them too. I didn't realize the phenomenon that it would be. And then people were blogging about it and, and retweeting it and watching it. And I thought, well, what a way to get our name out there. That's a problem that Wake Forest has is getting our name out there. We're the small, second smallest D ones. You probably got these facts um, rolling off the tongue at this point. But when I went there in 2008 with Chris Paul, uh, with Jamal Levy, um, with a lot of uh, Justin Gray, uh, we had a, a number one ranking in the country. Chris yeah. Paul was the best player in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, still no one really realized that Wake Forest is the second smallest or one of the smallest D1 schools in America. They think ACC, they must be this huge school with huge boosters and, and just neck and neck with Duke and Carolina. And I'm sitting here like, hey, man, we've been underdogs for a long, long time in that sense, that we are a small school. I think, I think in respect to Power Five, it's one of the smaller Power Fives. Yes. Maybe it's not now as far as Division One. Probably. Definitely. It's grown since I've been there, Coach. Yeah, okay, because we're at like 5,000 students. And yeah. so there's a lot of Division One schools. You know, there's several that are smaller than that, but not in the Power, the power Five for sure. Um, but, you know, that's a selling point to me in recruiting. Again, I, I'll recruit real quick. I mean, I, you know, it's not large classrooms. So, you know, I've taught at some really big public universities. You might have a couple hundred, 300 people in a class, but now you maybe – the most you're going to have is 25 or 30. The most, you got a better chance, you know, got a great chance to make it and not get lost in the shuffle too. And you get in the top 30 education. And so, you know, those are, that was something that really drew me to the job was being able to sell that to uh, prospective student athletes and their parents. So um, take me back to that. So you're doing a bunch of Zooms. The coronavirus epidemic has hit and you're trying to interview for a job, the biggest oh. job of your career. Yeah. Over Zoom, like how do you how do you land a job over Zoom? First of all, the greatest thing about that it will never happen again is I interviewed in my bare feet every time I did my Zoom with Wake Forest. <laughs> I had my tie on and my coat. I did wear my pants because I was a little paranoid. I might have to get up and go to the bathroom or something. I didn't want to be in my boxers, and I had no shoes or socks on, and that was awesome. You know, it was a it was fast. I mean, it was like getting ready to watch Jordan on Sunday night, you know, the second week of Jordan and then the phone rings and it's John Curry and we have a conversation. The athletic director of wake. Yep. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. And then, and then Monday it's a zoom interview with six or seven people for about two hours, then a couple phone calls. And then Tuesday it's a zoom interview with Chris Paul and Tim Duncan and, and uh, Mitch Shaw and Dr. Hatch and John Curry, about an hour. And then there's some more phone calls. And then there's a meeting with John Curry uh, in Montreat, North Carolina, on Tuesday night. And there's just Is that back- in the mountains? Yeah, right outside of Asheville. Yep. Beautiful. Actually, I, I've driven by it probably 100 times and you know it was there. And then, you know, back and forth on Wednesday and Thursday, I'm throwing down the mat. <laughs> You know, so was was the athletic director John Curry in the video? He's you know welcome to Wake Forest, our new head coach, and then he does the two finger point toward yeah. your direction, Coach Steve Forbes. 
and then it pans to you. You guys aren't actually in the same room, right? Right. Like we're social distancing. <laughs> um, no, actually. What a great acting job. So you're blocking. You're like, you're actually oh, doing these, these great. I got a, trust me. I got a very good imagination. All right? And so, uh, no, yeah, I did my take. I guess he came back and did his later on. And they, the magic of media, you know, they spliced it together. But, yeah, no, it was, it was you know, we kind of all did our own thing on that deal. Um, and by, I'm just telling you, by the end of that day, I was done. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, that was it. When I did that, I was like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done for today. And then the next day when we had the press conference, they did what they called a car wash to me. Yep. I've never done a car wash. I've done a car wash in my car. Welcome to the ACC, buddy. <laughs> wow. By 3 o'clock, I was okay, I, I can't talk no more. I need some water. Um, I'm reading Has anyone my- ever said that you, you would be a loss for words in your life? Oh, uh, Okay, so they figured that out like at 2 p.m. They had these, like, all these scripts, right? And, and I'm like, come on. And so I'm just going off script, right? I'm just ad-libbing. And finally, uh, I think Barry Fairclough said, just let him talk. He can <laughs> You know, but it was like, boom, 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 one thing after another, man. I'm like, golly. All right, I got to know, that Zoom call with Tim Duncan, Chris mm-hmm. Paul, Mitch Shaw, who's a part owner of the Atlanta Hawks, who's a Wake Forest alum, who's also, when you see the performance center at Wake Forest, the new basketball center, like, that's Ooh. got Shaw written on the front. That's Mitch Shaw, does. Um, who's got M- deep NBA ties. And John Collins, Wake Forest alum, uh, mm-hmm. he is, he's on the Atlanta Hawks, too, so there's a the connection there. But, all right, did Tim Duncan say anything on the call? Yeah, I didn't uh, think so. Maybe hello uh, and goodbye and thank you. Very, I mean, he was great. I mean, as far as you know, he just listened and 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 he made and, and the honest truth is he he made that kind of clear when he was you know when he got on there was I'm not here to I'm not trying to interview. I just you know I want to hear what you're about you know and that was in all fairness. Um, Chris Paul was on too. Um, I made him laugh a couple times. Um, I don't remember what I did or what I said, but but uh, he was great. You know, I think John asked most questions, Dr. Hatch. So that was essentially like an interview with a lot, like two of the biggest basketball players of all time. Like, no, like Chris I, Paul, and you're sitting in there and you're like, this is, this is real now. I'm sitting in front of Tim Duncan and Chris Paul. My 16-year-old son, Jonathan, was in – I was upstairs, bad internet connection today in the Forbes household, so I had to come downstairs for you. But I was upstairs and that when that happened and my son's room was right next to him. He's 16, Jonathan. And he was like trying to come in the room, you know, to, to look at these. I was like, Jonathan, get out. And they can't, they, they can't sign autographs through a computer, right? <laughs> they just go, you know? And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was cool, man. It, and it was great. And it, Hey, good for them, man. They, they, they are invested in the program, you know, and that, you know, that's what's crazy, you know, after I got the job, then there's this list, you know, you're calling and, I mean, all the players, Jeff Teague, Ed Schmidt, you know. James Al- Johnson, Al Farouk Aminu, yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, Ronnie Rogers. Uh, Muggsy Bogues, yep. Muggsy, uh, uh, Josh, I mean, all these guys, you're Josh like. Howard. 
Whoa, whoa. Hey, coach, I got to tell you, man, um, I might be biased because I went there, but I'm just telling you what the numbers say because I did a project at ESPN. One of my first projects at ESPN was statistically analyzing the NBA draft, which teams did really well by the value at which they drafted. So the average value of the 17th pick in the NBA is X, and this team got Y out of that player. You analyze that for 25 years of the draft since 1989 – I ran the numbers on it. Wake Forest uh, economics degree, by the way. Uh, shout out to Dr. McFall. Um, so Professor McFall. So uh, I analyzed it by college. Which colleges outperform their draft slot the most? Mm. And the answer was Wake Forest. Well, if you think about Chris Paul wasn't the number one pick. Of course, Tim Duncan was. But yeah. Josh Howard wasn't a top pick. Um, yeah. Jeff Teague, James Johnson, Al Farouk Aminu, the – Muggsy, you name all these um, Wake Forest guys, they way outperformed their their draft rating. So well, I'm asking you, since you've been around the, organ- the, the, the program for a few months now, you obviously were attracted to the job. But is there anything to that? You've always had like that chip on your shoulder as the underdog coming from Iowa. Do you think there's something to that is coming into the NBA – from a small division, you know, power five conference uh, team and coming into the league with that chip on your shoulder. Sure. I mean, uh, like I've said many, many times, I'm sure you've heard me say it, you know, the majority of the wins I've received in my career have been with Burger King All-Americans to kick McDonald's ass. You know what I mean? It's not, I've had two McDonald's All-Americans in my career. And now I will tell you this, Tom, I'm the only coach. I have to be the only head coach in the ACC. It's actually worked at McDonald's and signed a McDonald's All-American. Okay? Hey, I, now. I worked at McDonald's in Iowa City, Iowa, in the late 70s, early 80s. But What was your job at McDonald's? Oh, come on, man. They didn't let me cook. All right, I'm out front, baby. <laughs> I'm out front. Now, I almost got fired one time, though, because somebody came in and ordered a hot ham and cheese. And I turned around and said, call Hardee's for a hot ham and cheese. <laughs> um, they didn't like that because the customer's always right. Well, you're not right because we don't order. We don't serve out ham and cheese at McDonald's, but I digress. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I mean, I think you don't have that sense of entitlement, you know, that sense of I've already arrived, you know. Um, I got I know I got to go work for what I'm going to get. And I can use the guys like the kids I coached just recently in the league, you know, Fred Van Fleet, Landry Shamit. You know, those guys weren't overly recruited guys. Um, Fred wasn't even drafted, you know, and, and, and he's one of the best point guards in the league or making himself to be one of those kind of guys, you know. And so um, I think there is a lot to be said for that. And, um, you know, I, I think of other 17 guys I've coached in the league or had the opportunity to help coach or recruit, I think only two of them are McDonald's All-Americans. And now one of them is not in the league, Scotty Hobson. The other one was Tobias Harris. You know, and Tobias is obviously a great player, you know, but majority of these guys. Hey, he like, came into the league when he was like 17, Tobias. Oh, he was man. so young and he, he was, was still. Only, he was the only one and done guy we had at Tennessee at the time. And, um, but, you know, Paul Millsap, you know, um, helped recruit him at, at Louisiana Tech. And, you know. But you recruited Paul Millsap at Louisiana Tech? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I was on the staff. And so, um, now we had his uncle on staff, which helped. But we needed him, trust me. Uh, but, you know, Paul was one of those guys 
NBA guys say there's like one skill that translates from high school to college in the NBA, and that's rebounding. If you can rebound, you can rebound. But Paul's made himself into a, you know, more of a scorer. I mean, even wasn't really a great scorer in high school. He just, just could score around the basket. He led the nation in rebounding, I believe. Oh, three times. At the college level. Like, yeah, multiple times. times. Yeah. Oh, and by times. the way, another guy who was drafted really, really late. That's what I'm saying. You know, it, it, it's, it's just you never know, you know, um, until you get in there and compete, you know, and what's in your heart. And so we're talking about guys from Wake. I'm sure that's how they felt, you know, going into that situation is, you know, I played in the ACC, okay? I know what it takes to be a good player. Now I got to go prove myself, you know. It's like I tell the kids all the years, every year I've got a handful of kids go play overseas. And I always tell them, guys, you got to love to play. What do you mean? I go, you got to love to play because it's not going to be easy, okay. And uh, the fans aren't going to love you. And, you know, you got to love to play. And it's the same thing, I think, in the NBA. You better love to play. And you better, you know, you better take it seriously. It's a job. If you don't show up every day, somebody's going to take your job from you. And, and I think those white guys understood that. So one of the things that's happening in the NBA coaches, uh, player empowerment, where players are going from team to team and really dictating their future. College, I kind of feel like that's happening too, is that there's a wave of transfers, JUCO mm-hmm. or whatnot. Can you walk me through like how that's changed since your coaching career and how, oh, yeah. how you're going to use that toolkit at Wake Forest? Just mm-hmm. the idea of, trying to attract talent, not necessarily always from high school, but trying to uh, get creative in ways to get them to wait. Well, when I first started coaching, Tom, there was no internet. You know, there was no cell phone, no navigation, you know. So there wasn't a lot of communication amongst people. You know, it was, everything was, you know, face-to-face or a handwritten letter. I think, you know, we've become more kind of over-communicate now. We've become more closer and connected to each other because of social media, because of the internet. And I think that's, you've found now that, I think, I, I know you can remember this, but I remember uh, Magic saying that he would wake up every morning and go get the paper. And the first thing he would do look at the box score, see how many points birds scored the night before, right? Yep. Think about somebody doing that now. Come on, man. You can see him minute by minute how much LeBron is scoring. Yeah. Right? You know, or maybe he just FaceTimes birds bird and says, hey, man, how'd you play tonight? <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah. So it's cha- that, that, that's changed, and we, I think they've become more and more connected. I think there's five tiers to recruiting. Uh, I used them all at East Tennessee State. There's high school. There's JUCO. There's transfers, like you said, uh, you know, four-year transfers, or what we're going to soon call maybe one-time transfers. You know, there's grad transfers, and there's international. You know, and so I've used them all over the years. And, and, and at East Tennessee State, I tried to stay old and athletic. Old and athletic. That was, I wanted to stay older. I never wanted to get really young. I think at the mid-major level, it really helps when you're older. And so coming to Wake, that changes a little bit. The, the, mm-hmm. the dynamic of the junior college transfer is probably not going to be available to us um, based on the academic standards. And not that junior college kids aren't good students. It's just a matter of transferability. You know, I, went, I graduated third in my class out of high school, and I went to junior college because – it was really just the best option that I had at that time, and I wanted to play a couple sports, and I wanted to get re- recruited at a higher level. You know, so there's those type of kids out there, but for the majority, that's not going to be available at Wake. Um, the one-time transfer guys, you know, we're working through some of those, and 
A lot of it has to do with credits and can they get in, you know, how many credits transfer. International is going to be important, grad transfers. I signed a couple of those guys already uh, since I've gotten the job. And, and the reason why I did that, I think they can help us. You're older. And it also gives you scholarships in the next class, you know, which I didn't have any when I got here. And I think we have three at least now. And so, you know, when you start to build your program, you have got to be involved in all those phases of recruiting. And, and the transfer thing will get more and more important probably next year when it looks like to me they're going to change the rule and say that you can transfer one time, you know, without sitting out. And when you can do that. The game don't change. Well, it's going to be like, you know, like you said, like the NBA. I mean, guys moving from team to team. You know, when, when I was growing up, you know, I, you know, the Celtics were the Celtics, the Lakers were the Lakers, and the Sixers. You know, I, I was same team guy. for years and well, years. Yeah, I, was a, I mean, I followed Dr. J from the ABA to the NBA. You know, I was a Dr. J fan, and so, um, and you know, he was with the Nets, and then he went to the Sixers, and then we brought in Moses, and you know, we built this championship team. But you know, the Bucks. You know, when I was little, they had they had um, Jabbar, and he got traded. You know, um, all these teams just kind of kept their guys over over their careers, and, and you just don't see that anymore. So um, I want to switch gears to the NBA because uh, you have kind of this perfect storm of what happened in the NBA Finals. Of course, the Warriors side is Kevin Durant gets hurt, Clay Thompson gets hurt, and things spiral out of control for the Warriors. But on the other side is Fred Van Vliet, having a breakout year, a breakout series, and Nick Nurse, this kind of man of mystery in the NBA who was hired uh, when Dwayne Casey, who had, I think, a 60-win season at the Toronto Raptors, was let go a couple years ago. And then they went on this search for an NBA coach far and wide, and they Mm -hmm. ended up hiring the assistant, promoting the assistant. I think a lot of people around the league were like, well, that seems lazy. Like, they obviously didn't get the right man. And sure enough, Nick Nurse becomes this sensation in the NBA where he's doing boxing one defenses, switching up defenses every other play down the floor. And he is uh, now widely considered, if not the best coach in the NBA, a top five coach in the NBA, just like that. So you coached Fred Van Vliet at Wichita State, a guy six foot undersized, so to speak, wasn't nationally, uh, you know, wasn't a top 20 prospect by any means and then you also have this underdog of a guy who didn't get drafted by the way and then you have the underdog Nick Nurse who you guys go way back Mm -hmm. to I want to say Barton County Community College Uh, before that no Um, way yeah yeah so when I started out 31 years ago I was at Southwestern Community College in Iowa which is out right south of Des Moines where the where the uh the capital of Iowa. Nick was. The Thank you for giving me that that yeah, marker you, 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 there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Nick was probably the youngest head coach at any level at that point at Grandview College in Des Moines, which is NEIA. Um, he was like, I don't know, twenty-two. I was twenty-four, I think. And so we just became like, I don't know, we just became like really good friends. We didn't really know each other that well in high school. How far away are the two schools at that point? In high school, we were. Oh two or three hours away in, in, in college, when we were both started out in college, we were about 45 minutes. Okay. So I was in Des Moines a lot recruiting and we just got to know each other. 
And then we started working camps together. And then we started, you know, sharing a dorm room and on and on and on, you know. And, and um, I remember the one, the one time you were talking about Barton County. I was in a – we were in a dorm room in, in St. Joe, Missouri, working a camp for Jerry Mullen. And um, it, was, it was bunk beds. I'll say that maybe I was on top. Maybe he was on the bottom. I don't remember. But I remember saying that, hey, I'm going to go to Barton County Community College and be – you know, I was going to leave my head job at Southwestern and be an assistant out at another JUCO because it was a bigger JUCO. And he said, well, I'm going to leave, you know, where I'm at and I'm going to go back overseas and coach because, you know, I want to coach in the NBA somewhere. This was okay. what, 1990? Mm, 90, one, two, yeah. Wow. So, okay, so then I go, so then he goes and, you know, so he's coaching all these games in Europe, right? He's getting all his experience. Um, comes back in the summer. Um, now I'm in Division One at Idaho, so I'm, at, I'm in Long Beach recruiting, and this is back when the, you know, summer league was in Long Beach, so he's staying in my room, and he's um, volunteering to coach in the summer league in, uh, in Long Beach and you know just we're hanging out in the uh, in the in the bar after after uh, it's over and there's you know Tex Winter and Bill Jackson you know and we're you know getting to know these guys in fact I think that's where he, Warren Legary's his agent I think Warren was in there hanging out at that time I mean of course he was I'm sure he wasn't paying any attention to me and Nick either okay <laughs> and so you know and then we just keep going and I'm moving up in division one and he's a Manchester and Brighton and London and Ostend and Belgium. I mean, I could go through all of them. And, you know, and then one day he calls me and says, hey, um, I think I'm coming back to back home. We're going to start a – at that point it was the D-League. We're going to start a D-League team in Iowa and Jerry Crawford and some of these guys that we knew, you know, we're going to put this team together. And I'm like, ah, that's great, you know. And so he comes, he wins a championship, and then he goes to Rio Grande, wins another championship, and I almost blew it for him. I mean, this is a true story. So he calls me and he says, "Hey, um, I want to, I'm going to tell you, man, I'm, I'm going to get my my break, man. I'm going to, you know, the Raptors are going to hire me." So my dumbass goes on Facebook and congrats, Nick Nurse, you know, getting the, the, the job with Toronto Raptors. He's like, calls me Forbes. It's not been announced yet. Take that down. And I'm like, oh my god, I just blew this. It's going to be his big break. Oh. I broke the news. I was Woj, I was Woj bombing. Yeah. You know? um, and, and, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. And so, uh, yeah, you know, and, and, you know, here's the thing. You know, Iowa stands for, you know, IOWA stands for idiots out wandering around. And that's kind of <laughs> what Nurse and I have done. We just wandered around. the. He wandered around the world. I wandered around the United States. And here, you know, here we are, you know, guy head coach in the ACC and a, a head NBA coach. And, and I was at the I was at the Bucks. I was at the game when they clinched it against the Bucks last year. Oh yeah. And then when he was walking out the tunnel, they all had these NBA um, finals hats, right? And he flipped it to me. I was standing right there in the tunnel. I didn't go out on the floor. I was just kind of hanging out, and he flipped it to me. You know, and everybody was looking at me like, "Who's this guy?" You know, like, "Why did Nick Nurse throw him that hat?" And I'm thinking to myself, "Baby, we've come a long ways from uh, you know from hanging out in a dorm room." Uh, at night, you know, to to coaching and winning the NBA championship. How about that? Why is he a good NBA coach? Because he's not afraid. Um, like you just said, he's a he understands people. Great relationship guy. I think players really gravitate to him, and he's not afraid to roll the dice. He's not afraid to be different. You know, I think a lot of times we get caught up in 
you know, this is the book. This is how we're supposed to do it. Yep. You just said it, man, without me saying it. Box one, triangle and two. Um, still possession here, still, you know, innovative in two for ones, two, three for ones. But I mean, to do that, coach, you need the players' trust. Like a lot of coaches yeah. would love to do some off the wall defenses. Right, but but I think like, he, I ain't doing that. Well, I think because he empowers his players, you know, um, and he has a legit relationship with them. And I think college coaches are starting to figure that out. It's, I think it's one of the reasons why I've been very successful is because I have great relationship with my players on and off the court. If they don't legitimately think you care about them, they're not going to play for you. And I think Nick's got that that personality and the, in the true sense so they understand he wants what's best for them. And one thing he told me about coaching in the league that I thought was interesting, you know, I asked him one time about, you know, a lot of times in college, you know, we tell you to do something, yeah. No, you do it because I told you to do it. Kind of like your dad and my dad told yep. me to do it. You can't tell an NBA player that. You have to tell them why and explain to them how it's going to make them a better player, maybe make them more money. Uh, and so I think he truly understands that. Um, and he's got to have his homework done before he tells a player to do something. Exactly. So, and I think maybe that's why college coaches have struggled going to the NBA is because of that right there, you know, I told you to do it. You just do it. Um, and I do think colleges, when you think about college, I mean, if you think about it, if you said the word Duke, the first name out of your mouth, it's probably going to be Coach K. You know, um, when you say Carolina, you know, Dean, Dean Smith, Smith or, or Roy Williams. Or, yeah. Okay. If you say the Los Angeles Lakers, okay, you're not going to say Players. Right? If you say um, the Boston Celtics, probably not going to say Red Auerbach. Probably not. You know, so, I, you know, college is sometimes more about the coach. And it's changing. It's changing. Players are, you know, gaining more power, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But I think the NBA, is, it's a player's league. And so, I think Nick fully understands that, and, and that's what makes him special. All right, let's take a quick break to hear about a podcast that should be in your rotation. This is Mike Tirico introducing you to Sports Uncovered. When I lose the sense of motivation and the sense of to prove something as a basketball player, it's time for me to move away from the game of basketball. Quote, unquote, I'm back. I'm back. The two-word facts from Michael Jordan announcing the most famous comeback in NBA history. That's the most impactful two words ever. Subscribe to Sports Uncovered right now to get the Michael Jordan episode automatically downloaded on May 28th. Now, back to the conversation. There's a there's a, a report out there that ACC coaches are meeting this week about playing potentially HBCU teams mm. next year or um, starting that up. Can you shed any light on that and just how important that might be? Uh, well, you know, I think some of it just is an idea, you know, um, and, and um, you know, so I think Mike Bray, I think his team's playing at Howard this year. You know, I think it's a brilliant idea. Um, does, is it something that we're going to be able to do? I don't know. I mean, as far as schedules this year, it's kind of it's it's everybody's pretty much done. Yeah, yeah. You know, the way I look at it was more of an edu. I think it'd be a great educational situation. Um, and I'll give you an example. We went to Europe last summer with our team at East Tennessee State, and uh, we my guys took a, a class, a history class, in conjunction with uh, the the countries that we were going to go to. And we learned about the culture and the history of 
we went to Prague, Vienna, Salzburg, Budapest, Munich. Okay. Mm. Great educational experience. Did all kinds of trout, you know, touring, played three games. I didn't even coach the team. I let the assistants coach. And I think it'd be, I think it would be great to, to do something in conjunction with one of these schools and, and maybe take a class involved with it or go there and, you know, that day, you know, have a, a history instructor from that institution in bed with our team and teach us the history of the school and the institution, the surrounding area. You know, I, I remember when I was at Wichita State, we practiced at Harris Stowe in St. Louis. And I didn't realize, and I grew up in Iowa, I didn't realize that during the Civil War, Harris Stowe moved their campus to a barge in the middle of the Mississippi River on the Illinois side so they could continue to go to class. Things like that, I think, are powerful. Now, I do think there's more. We have to do more than just play a game, okay? Yep. That, that's, that's great. And could the ACC take it, the network, cover it, and do all those things and make it, you know, on Martin Luther King Day? Yep. I, yeah, right. But there's just so much more we got to do than just that. It can't and just be a, a, no. a photo op. No, and I and I think that was the the sentiment a little bit as we meant about it. You know, it was more like it's a good idea, but there's got to be way more than that. And um, I, so I don't know, you know, how that'll play out. We'll see. Um, but for me personally, and I have a history degree, you know, I think it's I think it would be powerful. But I do think there's just way more uh, what we need to be doing than just that. So when you talk about the NBA culture and the NBA, uh, you know, the talent that you have coached over the years, mm -hmm. Fred Van Vliet's got an incredible story. Oh, yeah. So you coached him at Wichita State. He's coming out of, I think, Rockford, basically yeah. Chicago. Yeah. Um, Chicago, yeah. Did you see him a future of going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Stephen Curry, the two-time MVP, in the NBA Finals getting clocked in the face and bleeding everywhere, but getting right back up and, and averaging what 15 a game in the finals. And, and it just, well, one of the great stories in the league. So I think I wasn't there his freshman year when they went to the final four, he came off the bench. I came in the summer going into his sophomore year and um, I had just coached a Juco all American at which at Northwest Florida by the name of Chris Jones. We went to uh, Louisville. And so, you know, I come in there and Fred, he's not impressed. He's not, he not an impressive player in practice. Um, you know, yeah. uh, average quickness, kind of got a funky shot, whatever, right? So, you know, we get to the fall and then we start playing real games. And then I'm like, ooh, there's a whole different level of player here, okay? And so what Fred is, number one, he's man strong, okay? You're not a big weightlifter. He's just man strong. His dad, his stepdad taught him to box when he was a kid. He's tough, okay? He's, um, he's got a basketball IQ that you cannot measure and a pace and a, a pace to his game. Nobody can speed him up. And he knows all the looks on the court. And so when you, when you have a chance to coach him and you start to understand those things, then you start to really appreciate what he can and can't do. And so I remember when I, I left, his senior year, and I went to become the head coach of East Tennessee State. But I got a lot of calls, you know, from GMs or scouts or whatever about Ron Baker and yeah. Fred. 
mean, you guys went yeah. undefeated in the regular season. Yeah, you went to the Final Four, Wichita State, which no great one coach. knew anything about. Yeah, great coaching by me, right? <laughs> I just was long for the ride. Um, I, and I honestly said this about Fred. I said, listen, he's not going to win. He's not going to measure out, right? Yeah. He's not going to go to the combine. You're going to be like, oh, he's a freak. What he is is an NBA player. He has got an NBA mind, and he's a winner. And I said, if somebody takes him, you're going to be really happy. Now, I had no idea it was going to be Nick, okay? And I remember saying this. Nick called me. They, they uh, signed him. You know, they didn't draft him. No. And so they signed him, you know, after, right after the draft for the summer league. And I said, Nick, listen to me. I said, if you give him a chance, and I know it's going to be hard because you got first-round draft picks in front of him. But if, and I knew who he was. We played this certain player. And, and I'll tell you a story. We were playing – I'll just tell you, it was Darrell Wright. We're playing yep. Utah. And, and he's, Darrell's playing pretty well, and Ron Baker's gardening. That's my scout. In the middle of the game, Fred goes, let me take him. Took him. Did a pretty good job. Till the last play of the game, and Darrell, to his credit, made a shot over him to win the game. Um, but I told Nick, I said, if you give this – give him a fair chance, he'll beat him out. He'll beat him out. And I, and I know that's hard, you know, because you got money invested. And, yep. NBA is a different game in that sense. So yeah. Nick kept calling me going, he called him Freddie. So this Freddie Van Fleet, my God, he's yep. good. I said, you know, Case loves him. I love him. And then, you know, Darrell got hurt, I think. And I probably helped him, you know, Fred get in there a little bit more. But I'm not surprised once I started coaching him. Now, I looked test the first week of practice, and I went, no, come on, this guy – you know, he ain't an NBA player. But once you really get to know him and what's inside of him, then, yes, I'm not surprised. And, and, you know, maybe he's scoring a little bit more than I thought maybe he would. But, you know, he just didn't do that at Wichita. He, was, he just distributed. He got everybody mm-hmm. the ball. He's one of these guys who is not afraid to pull up from deep. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering, is that something that he did a lot at Wichita State or – is that just something that he added to his game over the years? I, mean, I think it's something he's probably been capable of doing, but he didn't do it a lot at Wichita. He, he, took, he would take and make big shots, not afraid to do that. Yeah. And I remember, was it, the year before they, was it the year before they won it? He missed a shot to win. I was at the game, I think. They were playing, the, maybe it was the Wizards or somebody. He missed the game winner. Maybe mm-hmm. it was just, I can't remember. And I remember talking to him afterwards or texting him, like, hey, man. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You know, keep, keep firing. And, and it, it never phased him. You know, and so um, I don't – he did not shoot the ball at a high volume in college. He wasn't a – we had Clay Anthony early. Yep. We had Ron Baker. Yep. You know, we had we – had, we had good players. You know, um, Landry Shamit came later. Uh, Marcus McDuff. We had good players. And so he, he was very – he distributed the ball. But, you know, he's shown in the NBA what he, he can score that ball, too. I, I've seen it being written that you utilized the Toronto Raptors offense a lot last year mm-hmm. at, at East Tennessee. So I'm wondering what, what yeah. kind of elements of it did you like from Nurse's offense and things that you tried to take in your program and maybe bring it to weight? Well, it really just, Tommy, just spread. The, it got the floor opened up. And it gave kids the opportunity to make plays off the dribble mm-hmm. without driving on top of somebody. Yeah, I'm an old school guy, man. I, you know, I, I like uh, high low offense. You know, um, and I'm sure when you were here, 
You know, if you had Tim Duncan and Darius Singalier and those guys, you'd be throwing that thing high low too. Yep. Eric Williams but too. Yep. Yep. The game has changed and it's become more positionless basketball. And fives and fours are really guys that can face up and play the game. And so, you know, Nick and I have had these conversations over the years, and he had, he has developed his own system and and um and so I've been watching it and studying it. And then, you know, I think you can look at Denver's doing it. I think Milwaukee's doing it too. And so I think as a coach, you have to improve as much as you do as, as you ask your players to. And so I spent a lot of time trying to study it with him and, and watching my own tape. And then last summer we put it in and went to Europe and really liked it and then played with it all year long and went 30 and four. Now, you know, we had good players. You know, it's just like the triangle. It's a great offense. But Michael Jordan could run the flex, you know, or, you know, whatever. I mean – if Steve Kerr had taken the shot from the corner, who's the 50% three-point shooter, great right. shooter all time. Right. But I do point. think we're going to bring this to Wake, and I do think it's going to help us in recruiting. I do think it, 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 it opens up the court. It gives guys the opportunity to make plays. Kids are a lot more skilled than they were probably, you know, 10, 15 years ago. They can, you know, big guys can drive it. Um, you can still post up and get out. But, and the other thing is I, I don't – there's not a lot of traditional centers anymore. You know, like those guys, when you recruit them, they don't want to be told go down on the block and stay there. They don't want to hear that, you know. And so it's uh, it's also just a smart way to play. And I, I liked it, and I think we'll evolve in it, and we'll get better at it as we go. So have you kept in touch with Nick during this time off? Well, yeah, we had a very um, tough discussion last night. It was intense on, on whose gout was worse, his or mine. Um, his foot was painful. But I told him that I'm 55, so my foot hurt worse than his foot. And we talked about our medication. So if, if, if they call that staying in touch, then, yeah. I mean, we had, a, we had a very intense gout discussion last night. Wait, so walk me through this. Gout, I guess, is, is pain under your toe, big toe? What, I don't, I'm, I'm 34, Coach, so I, I haven't yet worried right. about gout yet. Well, let me, give you, let me give you an example. My dad, God rest his soul, he used to get it, right? And he'd have his feet up. And when I was a kid, I'd come running in there, bam, I'd run right into his chair, right? And he'd go, ah! And I'd be like, come on, man, it can't be hurting that bad. Let me tell you something. This hurts, okay? <laughs> I mean, I got it for the first time on the bus coming back from Martin, Tennessee last year. And, I mean, I felt like I, I felt I couldn't walk. It hurt so bad. It was in the – it was in my ankle, and the players are making fun of me, and I'm not having it, boy. I'm like, don't, don't go there, man. And and I was thinking to myself, how did I sprain my ankle? I haven't done yeah. anything. Yeah, how does this it, manifest itself? Like, how does I it happen? Run and jump anymore, you know? So I don't know. It's diet or lack of, you know, or maybe not eating correctly, but um, it hurts. And then every once in a while, it'll just remind you, and it'll come right back. And sometimes it'll go in your toe. It'll go in the bottom of your foot. And so um, it's just a gift that keep, it just keeps on giving. So, so Nick's, Nick's got it too? I didn't know that. I was complaining like a little baby last night that my foot hurt. And he informed me that he'd had the same problem, but, you know, had used medication and it helped. I said, well, that's partly my problem. I'm not really good at taking medicine. Okay, I take it for a while and I quit. You know, and so, um, yeah, that was the detailed discussion you know, oh, that, very, that, very so. sophisticated uh, NBA oh. talk, basketball, oh. X's and I mean, it was, it was high level, you know, 
I, I will say this last summer we had a great time. Um, he invited me and my wife and my oldest son to come to Chicago. Dick's a big baseball guy. And I'm, I played college baseball and love it. And I played at Southern Arkansas. We, went, okay. we got third in the NAI World Series my senior year. Um, What'd you play? I was a pitcher. Okay. So, Throw heat or you got some off speed uh, stuff? 87, 88. Okay. I mean, you know, nah, pedestrian. But um, uh, we went up to Chicago. He's a big Cubs fan, and he threw out the first pitch on a Friday. We stayed in Wrigleyville the whole weekend and uh, with with Roberta. And, you know, they just had – he's having a little – my kids are like – my daughter's 31. He's having – like, he's got a newborn. I'm like, come on, man. You're behind. You're way <laughs> behind in this game. But uh, we had a great time. And um, Joe Madden, we hung out with him, went to his oh, restaurant. Cool. He's cool. Took us in the Flamingo Room. I mean, I never been. I'll never go back in the flamingo room again. I, I don't even know what that is. I'm afraid to ask what that is. Yeah, don't ask me. I don't know. I think it's some place where Joe used to go relax. I couldn't tell you. I mean, it was in his restaurant, so he likes flamingos. Um, and more power to you. You know, uh, just had a great time. You know, and hung out and. And he keeps think, that guitar around him a lot. He does. You know, he's got a piano in his house too. He likes to play a little bit. Um, you know, he's just kind of a well-rounded dude from small town Iowa um, we used to work camp we used to have this Nick nurse camp in his high, in his hometown and I, I would actually take a week of vacation I had to take vacation to leave my job at southwestern Iowa to go work the camp we, we stayed in the basement of his parents house and after camp was over we went and played home run derby every night and uh he you know he'd be cranking that thing and he'd make me go chase it I'm like I'm not chasing that thing go chase your own and um, this sounds like Iowa to me. Like this is, well, this is Iowa. Idiots out wandering around. Um, yeah. You know what? I grew up in, Hey, listen, I couldn't have had any better. I grew up 12 miles South East of Iowa city, university of Iowa, but I only graduated with 32 people. Um, I grew up in a town where you could just run around town all day long and play. And there was no, you had no worries. And we didn't even have a, city cop we had a county cop that drove through town every once in a while but you know small town usa yeah great just a great way to, to grow up you know and but yet have the university of iowa right there and that's where i learned to love basketball basically was watching you know lute olsen was the a young head coach at iowa at the time and um and took him to the final four in 1980 and i was there for, i was around for all that and you know and, and because of being around a college campus I fell in love with the college campus. And I really – I haven't been off a of college campus since I went to college in 1983. I've stayed on a college campus ever since. I was just going to ask, Coach. I love you at Wake Forest. I, I like what I'm hearing. I, I think there's great potential here. But have you ever thought about going to the league? Oh, I know not really. Um, you know, Nick and I have talked, you know, sometimes occasionally that might come up. Um, the, the only thing I would tell you is this. When it's all said and done, and I don't know what age that'll be, you know, if he was still going, um, you know, and I retired, it might be a possibility. My kids will all be grown, mm -hmm. you know. Um, you know, I, I that would be probably who knows, forty years, whatever in college. Yeah. You know, and, and I will tell you this: it's a different game. You know, it's it's a way different game, and so you know, um, I think it's something that. You have to learn it. You have to learn the rules. You have to study it. I think I'd probably be good. Just one of these people that have good advice for the head coach and they have a great relationship with the players and 
maybe work them out a little bit, but I really haven't, it hasn't something that is on my mind. You know, obviously I'm being around Nick. I, you know, I got that close connection to it, but um, you never know somewhere down the road. So we got to get to some final fours. You got to get the talent. You got to get, uh, we, we got to get some, some banners up there. Um, mm -hmm. It's been a pretty big drought for us at Wake. So we, um, I remember, you know, Chris Paul's a hometown hero, you know, from Winston-Salem. And uh, it was one of those things where we lucked out. I think there was, there must've been, I haven't asked CP about this, but I think it was Raymond Felton might've gotten the UNC point guard job. Mm. Sorry, job. Uh, the, the spot and, oh. and CP was maybe looking at Carolina, but yeah. you know, right. then he goes, then he goes to wake and becomes a sensation there. So I just, one of the issues that we have at Wake is, you know, when, when you're going up against Carolina and Duke, it's, it's a pretty steep mountain to climb. Mm -hmm. And I know we can do it. I know Tim Duncan will tell you we can do it. And Chris yeah. Paul will tell you we can do it. So. Well, I think, I think, you know, you gotta, first of all, you gotta run your own race. You know, you, you gotta, you gotta build your own program. You gotta have your own identity. You gotta have your own style of play. Then you, and then you got to go out and recruit really good players. You know, really good players make really good coaches. I believe in recruiting offense, coaching defense. And so, you know, you, you got to go sign the very best players you can sign and then get them to believe, you know. And, and, and that's – to me, that's what coaching is, is getting the players to overachieve, getting players to turn their dreams into reality, getting them to do the things they don't want to do in order to get the things that they want. You know, X's and O's are important, but those are, to me – you know, the things that get the most out of your players. And so, uh, it's, yeah, it's a challenge. But, hey, guess, guess what? When I came here to East Tennessee State, and I say here because I'm still sitting in my kitchen here in Johnson City during pandemic, um, you know, they had this great success in the 90s. It's kind of like – just not like wait, man. They yeah. won four straight SoCon championships. Keith, Mr. Jennings, you know, he was Calvin Talbot, all these great players. Had some success early 2000, a little bit 2010. And then just kind of fell off. It's the same thing. It just needs a spark, man. It needs some. It needs some life. It needs some hope, you know. And so, how do you do that? Well, first thing you do is you get an identity that everybody can relate to. And when they win or lose, when they leave the Joel, they're excited about what they saw, you know. And then you go sign some really good players, and and you continue to build your program. You get out in the community, which I haven't been able to do because of pandemic. You know, and you get out and you and you meet people and you get people excited, you know, about, about the program. And so, yeah, I mean, it can definitely be done. And, and that's the that's what attracted me to the job was the ACC, the academics, the facility. I mean, those are that's a trifecta of a lot that most people, a lot of people don't have. And now you got to get out there and work it. And you got to get out to putters. Done that. Done that. Okay. Done that. So what did you I, crush I a putter's t-shirt? I have a putter's t-shirt. <laughs> you got to wear that. When you're, when you're doing an interview with a weight grad, you got to put on your, your putter's t-shirt. Well, you know, I, I don't want to offend other establishments. Okay. Okay. You don't want to be too yeah. elite, show too much loyalty it's a to one slippery slope when you start doing that, Tom. You got to be careful. <laughs> um, I go with the black because it's, it's, it's good. The that's right. Good. Well, hey. Then, yeah. One day when hopefully this pandemic is all over, we'll share some, um, some, 
soggy chips at, at putters, dip it in some of the ranch they got there. Some I like wings. blue cheese. I like blue cheese. I like blue, blue cheese. cheese. That's the spot. Then we I'm go not down. Not a ranch guy. Then we go down to to downtown to Foothills and grab a beer and talk about some uh, some X's and O's and, and wait for it. There you go, Foothills. I, I haven't been there yet. I need you to take me. So uh, they've got a chocolate. They got a beer that's been like the number one beer in the country for a long time. It was called Sexual Chocolate. Oh, it would have people lined up around the block in Winston-Salem, oh. downtown Winston-Salem, for just the chance to get a bottle of this imperial stout. It's like the alcohol per- percentage is like 20% of this beer. And it's, it's like the most highly coveted beers in the country. You are really, really trying to get me in trouble, I can tell. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to say that, okay, I believe you. I don't know. You know? I'm just saying. Um, I'm just hey, saying. I will tell you this, though. I guess where I bought my house. Right across the street from the from the uh, the tavern there on campus. Oh, village oh Ronaldo Village. Right across, uh, Ronaldo Village. I'm right across the street. That Get some crab dip. Up in my house, okay, please. But um, I wanted to be right there by the campus. You know what I mean? I, I wanted to be a part of it and uh, my family, and I wanted the players to be able to come to the house. And so, I mean, you can literally just walk across the street, you know, right into the village there. And so. I'm looking forward. We're going to move down there in July, uh, 1st of July and, and be ready to roll. Well, best of luck on the move. Um, welcome to Wake Forest. And uh, we're excited to have you. But uh, more importantly, uh, hopefully keep your health. Best of luck there and stay safe. And um, thank you so much for sharing these uh, stories about Nick and, and uh, Fred. And just your rise is, is pretty incredible and it's inspiring. So thank you for sharing your story. Well, thanks for having me, Tom, and I look forward to doing this again. I'll try to get some more dirt on Nick or uh, <laughs> maybe Freddie. You know, uh, I, I, you know I, where I, to go once you get it. Oh, I know where to go. Yeah. I know where to go. Thanks, man. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode of the Haber Show podcast. Really, really excited we were able to do that with uh, Coach Forbes. Those Nick Nurse stories, man. I mean, I don't want to think about gout ever again. I hope that doesn't hit me. Um, but I want to thank Coach Fords for joining me. And uh, if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Uh, go tell your friends, your family, your enemies. Um, and thank you for listening. I hope to do more of these kind of uh, off-the-beaten-path pods. I know he's a college coach, but I think a lot of implications there on the NBA space. And you learn something new about a guy that you don't really know much about, Nick Nurse, the coach of the reigning champs. Um, until next time on The Haber Show, stay safe, everybody.